Hey, this is John Stevens, pastor of Chapelwood, and this is our weekly sermon podcast. I hope it will impact your heart and your life and help you grow closer to God. Check us out online at chapelwood.org. Thanks for tuning in. Our scripture today is from Luke chapter 4, verse 31 to 44. He went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astounded at his teaching because he spoke with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down before them, he came out of him without having done him any harm. They were all amazed and kept saying to one another, What kind of utterance is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and out they come. And a report about him began to reach every place in the region. After leaving the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. Then he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately she got up and began to serve them. As the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Demons also came out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Messiah. At daybreak he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowds were looking for him, and when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we moved back to Houston from Midland two months before Harvey hit. And so we were going through all of that at the same time we were looking for a new church. And as, as the storm had gone through and obviously the aftermath that was going on, I was looking for some place to go be active and, and kind of try to help people out in the aftermath of the storm and looking around the neighborhood for opportunities to sign up and go muck houses with people. Chapelwood was one of the first places that popped up on my list is looking for volunteers and had a sign up genius that I was able to to get to. And so, you know, I showed up, me and, me and some jeans and some tools and really the crew or crews that I was out with that day led me to coming back home and I remember telling her like, these are our people, this is, this is the community we've been looking for, this place is amazing, what the people are doing, what the church seems to represent, and this is a place that we've gotta to go to and check out. And I think from the first time we attended Chapelwood after that, really all the way to now, it's, it's felt that same way and, and that feeling really hasn't left. I think coming out of the pandemic and this season where it's been very strained to to hold on to relationships and, and community. My hope, if I will, is that we have 
um, a call to deeper community here. I see it. I see all the pieces in place, and I, I um, we feel it at Chapelwood. But I feel like um, this season in the pandemic will have strengthened us and been able to um, kind of hold on to what's real. And I, I really look forward to a deeper sense of community. We feel like we've been somewhat starved of that, that, that personal connection for so long. Being able to come out of that at a time when our kids are coming of age. So not only that we can experience the type of community we had at Chapelwood prior to the pandemic, but also having our kids engaged in that community as they're growing up is really important. Basically, everyone in the children's ministry is my hero. Pastor LM and um, Allison Johnson and Caroline Clay. I mean, they are so positive in our kids to be able to not only have them interested in faith and learning about Jesus and the scripture and Bible stories and all that good stuff, but also to see it modeled before them and how um, a community works. I think that sticks. I don't think that they can get away from that easily. And that's very important that my children know that. Bringing them to the church is an, an opportunity to show them the community that's, that's around there, the love of God, that's all around them all the time. And not only to educate them on it, but to have them live it. The thing that draws me to Chapelwood is the realness of the people. They, they are just open and friendly and approachable and are very real in their approach to their faith journey and their walk with God. Tyler, Lauren, great couple and great family. Um, you know, you, you heard uh, Kanisha's back after being on a tour for several months on Broadway. And Kelly is going to be gone for a couple of months on tour. I need to let you know that I'm going to be gone for a couple of months. Um, I've been asked to be a supermodel in France. And uh, so I'm going to do that. And that but I, I will miss you. <laughs> yeah, no, they said no one ever. I, I will say an interesting thing. And when we talk about today, I want to talk about a day in the life of Jesus. If we can talk about a day in the life of the Jesus, I have to talk about a day in the life of John, not that they're comparable. But yesterday, I uh, came up to be a part of a panel. If you don't know anything about the Enneagram, this will go right over your head. It's just like a Myers-Briggs or a Berkman. It's sort of a personality type thing. Well, I'm an eight. They wanted me to come sit on a panel as an Enneagram eight with some other people. So I came, and one of the things that came up in our conversation, because Sandra Smith, who was leading, is an eight as well. She says, yes, eights love to blow their horn in traffic. So, and the reason we do is because no one really knows how to drive. Like, no one knows how to drive the right way. So uh, I thought, wow, that's, that's, I didn't know that. And so I'm on my way home from this very thing, talking about that, and I'm at the intersection there of Bunker Hill and, and uh, Taylor Crest, and this guy with this big long trailer is turning and he's gonna hit me. And I thought, I shouldn't blow my horn. Um, I, I did blow my horn and he did hit me and this is my car coming home from being told that eights blow their horns too much in traffic. So this is not working well for me. 
I, I'm thinking now that I am totally justified in blowing my horn in traffic because just, you know, no one knows how to drive quite the way I know how to drive. Um, you know, I never thought of all of, of now, in, I'm in my eighth year, seven and a half years at, in Houston, my first car accident, I wasn't moving. <laughs> I'm at a stop sign and I wasn't moving. So this will be fun. Uh, this is why eights blow their horns. Well, I want to talk about this day in the life of Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, this whole series is talking about following Jesus. We talk about the example that is Jesus, his baptism and his temptation. And what is it that we learn to incorporate into our lives that we are followers of Jesus? What is it we learn about our identity, about how that is tested on a regular basis? But then last week we talked about the path of discipleship, that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to know what Jesus' mission is, what mattered to Jesus, what was the center of his purpose so that we can have that as our center as well. And in Luke 4, it's about liberation. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to release, proclaim to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what we are called to walk, this path of liberation. Each of the gospels has a very unique aspect of what the commission is that sends us out into the world with Mark, it's proclamation of repentance and the kingdom of God with uh, Matthew, it's to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them. In the Gospel of John, it's as the Father sent me, so now I send you. It's that incarnational modeling of Jesus. But in Luke, it's very liberation, very liberating that people who are in, in, in prison in any different way in their life are captured in any way in their lives. Jesus is about setting them free. He's about resetting things. And so when we look at this day in the life, we re remember last week, Jesus was at his home synagogue. He was run out because they didn't like this message. <laughs> he told them, I'm going to be, this message of the gospel of God is going to be for people that are outside the circle that you draw. Because if you draw a circle of who's in and who's out, you'll never be able to draw that circle small enough. It'll get smaller and smaller and smaller. And Jesus said, God's going to send me to those that are outside of that circle. They didn't like that. So they ran him out to the edge of the town. They were going to throw him off the cliff. And this is where we pick up the story today. Jesus has now come to Capernaum, the very city where they wanted him to replicate all the things that he had done there. And the first thing he does when he goes into these towns, and this is the community we are called to model. If we're going to be the community and the church, we have to look at how Jesus lives his life so we can model that as the community of faith. The first thing he does is he goes to the synagogue. He regularly attends the places of worship. If you look at the, the life and the ministry of Jesus, when he goes into a town, he goes and he worships with the people. That's true for us as well. He teaches there. He lifts up. He encourages. He joins himself with the gathered community of God's people coming together to worship Yahweh, to hear the scriptures read and to hear the word of God taught. We are the church gathered together. And this is a, a, an interesting way for us to unpack this because in the season of pandemic and now moving into the endemic, uh, we, we still are not back, if you will, to everyone back in the room. But we're going to have to really adjust our ways of thinking about how we are present because there are people that are watching right now online who are just as much a part of this community and present with us as people in this room. I remember recently I was um, at lunch with someone and they were talking about a sermon that they had listened to 
uh, at a different church in a different denomination. And the preacher was just lambasting the congregation, primarily the people who were online, talking about how you're not here and you're lazy and you can't blame the pandemic anymore and you just need to get your rear end in church because that's what God wants you to do. And I thought, wow, how'd that go over? I said, well, you know, they're kind of used to it in that church. And I thought to myself, first off, I would never even think to say something like that. And I don't even really believe that. There's going to be new ways that we exist in community together. I get text messages every Sunday, right after a service will end. And it'll be from someone who's not in this room physically. It'll be someone that's somewhere else at their home or somewhere out of town or wherever they are, and they've watched the church service, and they'll make a comment. They'll say something about the sermon or the music or whatever that touched them that day. Still connected in community. So as we think about what does the church look like and how are we gathered together, it will look and feel different. But the key is we have to always value this gathering together to worship God. I even get notes from people who watch the service on Tuesday or Wednesday that they intersect with that, but they are a part of this community. And we have to really adjust our understanding and expectation of, of how we feel and see and sense and, and how, how we, we judge people based on whether they're here or not. The, the community of the church is much broader than a physical located space. But the key that we cannot forego is this idea and understanding that we are to gather together because it is important that that meeting together, whether it is digitally or physically, is important. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, the writer says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's like Joseph mentioned a little while ago last week as he was one of the hosts online. And people are sending in, hey, will you pray with me for this? Will you remember this family member? There's still community. Does that make sense? They're connected even though it may look and feel different. That's the key is the connection of the community that we don't forego this time that we spend together worshiping God. This is what Jesus does. And this is one of the things we have to model as the church. If we're going to be the community of faith, we have to model that aspect of Jesus. He valued worshiping in community. We must value that as well, even though it will look very different. The second thing that we find here is while he's in this place of worship, a man who is possessed by a demon cries out to him in the synagogue, and he cries out at the top of his voice. He tells Jesus, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, be quiet. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said, what words are these? Look at the power and the authority that he has to give orders to impure spirits. They come out and the news about him spread in the surrounding area. I think it's important for us to remember that another part, not only of Jesus gathering, but in the day he engages with people who are held captive by spirits. Now, for us in the modern sensibility from the first century, it's a very different understanding of, of demon possession or spirits that are at work. But I'm just going to tell you, 
Over the last two years, I have found in the cycle and the rhythm of my own life where I was under the influence of some spirits that were not healthy for me. And they led to depression or darkness or anger or fear or grief. I'm not saying I was demon possessed, but I can tell you that there were spiritual forces that were at work in my life and around me. I've seen this happen in some of our, our lives together, some of your lives and people that I know. And what I know and believe is that there are powers and principalities and spirits that are at work that, that cast a cloud of darkness over us. And if we're honest, everyone in this room could say at some point over the past two years, but even beyond that, that there's some moment, some time where we were under that, that cloud of darkness. There was some influence, some spirit that was at work in our emotional, psychological, spiritual being that kept us from being all we were created to be. And Jesus is one who says, I'm going to reach out and I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to minister to that part of you, whatever it is that's held captive, whatever it is that's limiting you, Jesus comes to set free those who are imprisoned by anything, not just the physical bars of a prison. In that passage in Isaiah, we read in the Nazareth synagogue, he's enacting that now in the life of this person. You could probably share a testimony. I've shared some in my own life of having to work through anger and work through um, some depression and some darkness in my own life over the last two years and how I really and truly believe that it was Jesus who set me free from that through working with a therapist and a friend who helps me to see what is it that you're grieving? What is it that you're afraid of? What is it that, can we name these things? And in a way, what Jesus does in that moment is casting that darkness out of me. In our book of worship in the United Methodist Church, when we have a healing service, so, much, so, many, so many times we think about healing only of the body. But when we pray for healing in the United Methodist healing service, we pray for the healing of body, mind, spirit, and relationships. So it is all aspects that we are healed from. And that moves us into this very next stage. And I think the reason that Jesus, uh, that Luke puts these two together is very important because he heals of the spiritual liberation or the spiritual captivity. And he moves to Simon Peter's house and heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law of her bodily infirmity her fever. So when you read this passage in verse 38, he leaves that synagogue after he's set this person free from this spiritual demon. Now he goes to the home of Simon and Simon's mother-in-law is suffering from a high fever. And when I read this scripture this week, I keep thinking there's going to be some paragraph in there. And Herod instituted the mask mandate or something like that, but <laughs> it, it doesn't show up. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her, rebuked the fever and it left her. And she got up at once and began to wait on them. Again, this holistic nature of healing is very important. Body, mind, spirit, and relationships. That's what the church is about. I think about over the past two years, I keep using that two years, but it's been so much more than that. It's just the past two years we can all identify, so we've all shared this together. There's so many ways that I have seen Jesus heal people psychologically, spiritually, but also physically. I think how this works together in a, a family that's a part of our church, uh, the Gowans. And um, 
Brad, the son, 21-year-old son, was at a Christian retreat camp over the, the holiday in Colorado. Snowboarding was in an accident and has had a significant brain injury. And as he's in the hospital, we as the church come together and we pray for his physical healing, for God to work and repair the parts of his body. But at the same time, we pray for Chris and Whitney, his parents, for that spiritual healing, for the psychological and emotional healing that they are experiencing. Their body is not broken, but their spirit is broken as they long for and lament watching their son as his healing is taking place. And when you think about how the church works in that, it was so amazing because last week I got an email from someone who says, hey, I heard about this. I have a friend who has a house in Colorado near where they are. They're not using it in a car. Would you let them know that I can make the connection? They can stay there if they need a place to stay. This is the holistic way that the church brings healing and wholeness into people's lives. This is what we do every day. You think about during the pandemic and the, the food pantry where you're serving people, is there's so many needs. Yes, there's food needs, but there's rent needs, there's um, clothing needs, there's emotional needs and security needs and all of these different things that we're dealing as the church. We're modeling this day in the life of Jesus every day as the church, gathering together as the community to worship God dealing with both the spiritual and the physical limitations and bringing healing. And this is what we see. But what's also interesting is it doesn't just stay in the small group of the church. It doesn't just stay in the small group of disciples or this one person or Simon Peter's house. The next passage of the scripture says that at the end of the day at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. And moreover, demons came out of many people and he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At the end of the day, around sunset, Jesus engages in the community. He doesn't keep it in the small, narrow focus. He goes out into the community. This is what the church is called to model. It's not just for those of us who sit in this room or who watch online or just who are members of this congregation. We go out into the community. And we engage with people in the community. In my imagination, the scene now is shifting from this serene, intimate setting in Simon's home, in the synagogue, in the small group, the familiarity of friends sharing a meal, to now this frantic and chaotic scene of people clamoring to get their loved ones to Jesus for healing. I experienced this working uh, during the pandemic at our food pantry on Gessner Road. And I was um, working in the line and taking information from people because, you know, yo hablo espanol un poquito. Uh, and, and I was taking information from people. And what you find is the chaotic nature of the need. We are there as a food pantry. We know how to do the food pantry. We have everything boxed up exactly in the ratio and the amount and everything exactly for each family depending on how many people are in your household but every person that comes through there they have more than just food needs and they're asking me do you know where we can find out some help for rent do you know where we can find shoes for my 
kid? Do you know where we could maybe find someone who could help? My mother is sick. Do you know of a doctor or a clinic? And on and on and on and on and on it goes. This chaotic needs. And I think about how Jesus is engaging in the community. And it's not just this easy packaged way, one size fits all of healing and wholeness. It's chaotic. He doesn't go around those moments. He doesn't avoid them. He engages them. And that's what the church is called to do. If we're going to be the community of faith and be followers of Jesus, to follow Jesus means we engage at the point of the need. We don't have a, you know, even though I'm taking down people's information, we don't have some form that fills out and say, okay, well, if you don't fill all the boxes and all the requirements, then you can't be served. We don't do that. There's a need. It's like I said the other week, you know, when you're out in the hurricane and you're pulling people out of their homes who can't get out of their homes, you don't ask them, say, hey, are you Methodist? You know, (laughs) you don't do that. Because it's the need of engaging in the community. Jesus does not go around them. He does not dismiss them. He does not treat the needs of the people as an intrusion or an offense. No, these are the people that are there for the liberating and freeing power that he came to be a part of. I think it's very important. But then there's another move. We're almost done here. There's another move. So he's in the synagogue. He gathers for worship. With the people in the community, there is spiritual and physical healing, body, mind, spirit, and relationships. He engages and expands out into the broader community. But then the scripture says, the next day at daybreak, the next morning, verse 42, he departed and went to a deserted place. He went to a solitary place deserted place. The crowds kept looking for him, but at daybreak the next morning, he goes to a solitary place. This is a regular practice of Jesus in all the gospels. It's highlighted all through the accounts. Jesus does not constantly engage in the crowds. He is not in continuous interaction with either his own inner circle or the masses of people. At significant moments in his life, he withdraws from the press and the pull of other people in order to have time in silence and solitude with his heavenly father. If we're going to be faithful as the church and model this rhythm and day in the life of Jesus, there has to also be times when we pull away to tend our souls, to take time to recalibrate and have our sinner recentered. Jesus says in the gospels that I only say what I hear my father say. And I only do the things that I see my father do or that I sense my father do. How do you know what it is that God wants you to say or do if you never stop to to shut off and turn off the voices of the world, to turn the television off, to turn the cable news off, to turn the social media off, to turn the phones off, to turn all the distractions off so that you can sit and listen and spend time in God's word and hear God say to you again who you are, whose you are, and what your mission is. That's what Jesus did. He did it on a regular basis. And I've learned that, um, you know, the pandemic forced some of us into solitary uh, moments in our lives. Maybe we were not wired for that. 
But we learned that there was something that came that was life-giving in that moment. But here is the, the flip side of that. I've learned to really enjoy and appreciate solitary places. I've learned to really enjoy and like um, stealing away and taking more time for my soul, my self-care, and to be away from other people. The danger is I don't want to go back. <laughs> and my wife tells me all the time, she says, hey, so um, you want to go do this thing or you want to go to this thing or you want to do this? I was like, no, it's too peeply out there. I don't want to go outside. <laughs> it's too peeply. And this is the last point is that after the people and the crowds find him, Jesus re-engages. This is important because there have been parts of me in my life, and I think parts for a lot of us, for a lot of us that we find that solitary moment we steal away. It's like, this, this is good. It is good. I don't really want to engage with you anymore. <laughs> I don't want to engage with people anymore. That's not the choice that we have before us. Jesus takes the time to pull away, takes the time to spend time alone with God, but he always re-engages. The crowds, what's interesting here too is when he re-engages, the crowds want to keep him located there in Capernaum. They said, come back, stay here. There's still more to be done. There's still more people to be healed. And Jesus says, as the people were looking for where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. They wanted to keep the goodness to themselves. And he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because this is why I was sent. And he kept preaching in the synagogues of Judea as he went out. Jesus doesn't stay in solitude forever. He's not a hermit. In order to bring this mission of liberation to the world, he must engage with those who come after him and he must move to new spaces. When I think about what we are called to be as the church, I think about this day in the life of Jesus. It's a really like a, a 24 hour snapshot of his life and his interaction. And I think if we're gonna be the community of faith, we follow this model. To follow Jesus is to follow this pattern, to worship together, to be community together as we worship God. To speak liberation, not only to just the bodily, to heal, to help people to be healed and to come alongside people when they're broken in their body, but also in their spirits. I think about how we are called to engage the broader community. Whether, whether we feel like we want to or not, the need is out there. Jesus engages in the community to remember that sometimes we have to stop, to pause, and take time for ourselves to, so that we can hear once again the Father speak to us about who we are and what we're called to be. And then finally, which has been harder for me, is to know you have to re-engage. You have to re-engage and you have to even be willing to go to someplace new. Sometimes we want to be located in the familiar place. The people wanted Jesus to be located in their place. But he says to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. I must go to other places as well. I think about that as I think about us as the church at Chapelwood. 
This is exactly the kind of life and rhythm we live. This is who we are as the church. And I believe now we are in a season where we, we know and we are, we are hearing Jesus speak these words and we're believing them that we must go to other towns also. I don't mean that literally like we're going to go to St. Louis, but I mean we must go to other places. There are more needs. There are other spaces and places around us that maybe we don't even, we're not even aware of where the need is right in our neighborhoods, but those are places where we need to go as well. This is the model of Jesus. And so if we're going to be followers of Jesus as we wind this whole series down, we have to understand that Jesus is our example in his baptism and temptation. Remember, you are a child of God, son and a daughter. God is well pleased with you. Every day, remember, there's going to be temptations and tests along the way. They're going to try to deconstruct you and recreate you into something you were not created to be. Every day, the world, the devil is going to work that for you. Remember the path. The path of discipleship is to be about liberation. To set not only ourselves free, but to set other people free. To experience that freedom and liberation. And then to remember this rhythm. This rhythm in the day and life of Jesus. And that is the rhythm of the church. This is our identity. This is who we are called to be. Followers of Jesus. And to model exactly the same kind of life and rhythm that he did. Let's pray. Lord, as we come together in this place, we know that being the church is not easy. Um, and is not something that everyone wants to be a part of. Because it is a difficult challenge and task to be about your work in the world. There are so many needs around us. And sometimes it feels like we can't meet them all. And the reality we find in the scripture today is we can't meet them all. But we are called to be faithful to meet the needs that are in front of us, to engage in our community, to move into the new areas where you lead us, but to always, always, always maintain these bonds of community and to maintain our connection to hear you, Heavenly Father, to know what you are saying to us so that we can follow your will and your way. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.